Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Now, like this morning where I had a, uh, an additional reading, uh, I will have an additional reading this evening as well. We just have one verse from Exodus 20. And so afterwards, turn with me to Ephesians uh, chapter 6. And we will hear uh, Paul citing this verse and saying something to us there as well. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And now turn to the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amen. Let's ask God's blessing. Almighty God, open our eyes. We we need your word more than we need food and water, even air. Uh, We need these things for our immediate life. But without your word, we die eternally. And so feed us from that word tonight. Give us bread from heaven living water, even Jesus Christ. Help us to know what this fifth commandment means and how we are to be encouraged by the work of Christ for us regarding it and by our own duties now. Instruct us in these things. In Christ's name, amen. Well, tonight, as we come to the fifth commandment, it's not just... Another commandment, you know, like, well, one, two, three, four, five. It's just the next one on the list. Well, it is the next one on the list, but uh, there is a categorical difference with this one than the first four. And many of you, most of you, will know what that is. Uh, The first four commandments concern primarily who? Uh, The Lord and our relationship with the Lord. And uh, commandments five through ten concern primarily, uh, but also as well, our relationship with the Lord, but primarily our duties to others, to our neighbor. And so uh, our approach this evening will be uh, the same as before. I hope I'm building in something of a catechetical uh, way of thinking about these things, Uh, thinking redemptive historically about this command as it comes to Israel first, then as it comes to Christ And then as it comes to us, we'll consider the fifth commandment in light of those three things, the commandment in relation to Israel, in relation to Christ, and in relation to us. Well, let's begin by uh, considering the commandment in relation to Israel. And let's look at the words and consider the words of the commandment. Now, the commandment begins with this word, honor, honor. What does it mean to honor one's father? 
and one's mother. Well, the word here, honor, is related to another word which commonly describes God. And here, again, we see that though the, though, uh, on one hand, it's directing us towards those uh, image bearers who we relate to here, fathers and mothers, there's always the relationship to God. The verb to honor, kaved, in Hebrew is related to a noun which commonly concerns God, kavod. God is called kavod. He is called literally heavy, weighty. God is weighty, and because of that, he is to be treated with requisite weightiness and requisite honor. Language, again, shows us that there's an inseparable connection between honoring God and honoring one's father and one's mother. And I'm going to come back to that point again and again tonight. But in the case of Israel, as we saw with the first, second, third, and fourth commandment, uh, just as there were very public, unique ways in which Israel, we've seen walking through the Torah, broke all of these commandments, so is the case here with the fifth commandment. Israel's unique breaking of the fifth commandment uh, publicly and historically in a way which is going to hasten and bring about their condemnation uh, is seen uniquely in Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, there in Leviticus chapter 10, we uh, have sons and a father. We have two sons of Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. And they commit a terrible sin. And uh, that sin, just like the others that we saw, for, uh, commandments one through four, brings about a swift and terrible punishment, a, a sentence of death. But in this case, unlike uh, the last three at least that we looked at, the death sentence is not mediated by the hands of the people through stoning. It's immediately uh, given through the hand of God. And while their sin is not, uh, in one sense, directly against their father, uh, it is against God, we see that there is actually a very unique connection with their father. And that's brought out in the text itself. And so in Leviticus 10, verses 1 through 3, let me read the account of Nadab and Abihu. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now, though we might not know all the details concerning this unauthorized fire, uh, one scholar says this. In Exodus 30, verse 9, God specifically commands the Israelites' priest not to offer him foreign incense. This prohibition seems to be aimed at, uh, the, at forbid, forbidding the incorporation of foreign cultic practices into the worship of Yahweh. Thus, foreign or strange, as some translations put it, uh, incense or fire would be an offering not specifically commanded by Yahweh, which is probably borrowed from the nations surrounding Israel. 
So the sins of these two sons were against the Lord. But the more we think about this strange fire and what it meant, and we consider God's word to Aaron, actually God addresses the father of these two sons in this passage as well. We'll look at it in just a moment. We'll see how there was a relation as they rebelled against God also to their father. Why is that? Uh, Clearly, Aaron as their father would have instructed them in the ways of the Lord. He would have taught them regarding the true character of religion. Yet their offering of this strange fire shows what? Shows that they had not heeded the voice of their father. Their syncretistic worship, that's simply combining uh, the worship of paganism with the worship of the living and true God, uh, proved not only that they rebelled against the Lord, but they, they would have been dishonoring the instruction of the fathers, fathers of Israel. And this father in particular, the high priest of Israel, would have known the commandment to bring up his sons in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so as they rebel against their and certainly their own father's instructions in the way of true religion, they rebel against the one who installed him over them, the Lord. And that's precisely what the next verse in Leviticus 10 brings out. Uh, we read there this, Then Moses said to Aaron, this is after the death of the two sons, now Moses, speaking on behalf of the Lord, turns and addresses the father of the deceased. He says this, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be, and I'm using the same word from Exodus, uh, in the same translation as Exodus 20.12, I will be honored. There's a real connection between Exodus 20.12 and the call to honor one's parents and the way in which these two sons of Aaron did not honor God. Not only is that the same word used, but this is the very next instance, the, very, the, the next place where this word occurs in the Hebrew Bible after Exodus 20.12. Aaron seems to realize that the failure of his sons to honor the Lord is of one piece with their dishonoring him as setting before them the Lord as the one true God. He seems to to recognize that because um, when we look at him and we see what his response is, what is his response? His response is this, nothing. He was silent. We read verse three, and Aaron held his peace, kept his peace, can be translated remain silent because there was nothing to say. God's punishment was just and perfect and as horrible and as painful as that must have been for Aaron as the father of these two. He clearly sees that they're failing to honor him by rejecting his instruction regarding the true religion was ultimately a sin by which they dishonored God himself. This is what, but one more nail in the coffin. I suppose there are ten nails in this coffin uh, that Israel is having placed in their own coffin as they sin again and against 
against not just human beings, but against the Lord himself. Israel, again, shows himself to be God's disobedient son, worthy of a death sentence from God. And at the end of the Old Testament, God does, in fact, execute a death sentence upon his corporate son, sending him out of the land of life into outer darkness. As I said before, there are three unique sons in the Bible. Adam is God's son. Israel is God's son. Jesus is God's son. Both Adam and Israel fail to honor the Lord as their father, and they receive the covenant curse for disobedience. Indeed, Israel's final judgment uh, by God is described by by the prophets as failing to honor him as their father. Listen to this from Malachi 1.6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? The honor which was to be given to Israel's father was not given to him. Thus we see that the breaking of the law with respect to Israel under the old covenant, the breaking of the fifth commandment is going to bring about a certain death sentence for this son So I'm not going to end the sermon there because it would be quite depressing and hopeless. Let's move on then to the second point, the fifth commandment in relation to Christ. There is another son after Israel, one who perfectly honors his father. And of course, when I say that, I'm not primarily talking about Jesus's honoring of Joseph and Mary, though he certainly did that and he perfectly did that. And I know that probably there were a number of sermons preached about uh, the honoring of Jesus' mother uh, today as well. We can think of those ways in which Jesus thought about his earthly mother there, even as he was suffering at the cross. But the honor he accorded to Joseph and Mary was representative of the honor he perfectly showed to his Father in heaven. No one, no one in history has honored their father like this son honored his father. It's so vital for you to hear this, especially even as I address the children this morning. I want to address the children again. Children, it's so vital that you hear this. You must avoid at all costs the delusion that I was speaking about this morning that if you're just, if you, if you do good enough, if you keep God's commands well enough, then you might come to the conclusion that he loves you and accepts you and saves you. With the fifth commandment, I particularly want to drive that home to our children. Children, do not confuse the honoring of your father and mother with what, uh, do not make God's, your, your awareness, your certainty, your assurance of God's love for you dependent upon keeping that commandment or any other commandment. Particularly parents, you need to hear this too, as we may be, you know, tempted to perhaps overuse this commandment sometimes. Uh, or maybe use it in a way that's not fitting to our kids. You can only cry out to God and address him as your father because there is one who perfectly honored God as his father, even Jesus Christ. Jesus was the one who honored his father to the point of his own death so that you look at the obedience of the son to the father, and now his father is your father. 
This is the perfect obedience of Christ with respect to the fifth commandment. And his perfect obedience to his father is perhaps shown to us in the New Testament in no greater clarity than in John 17, the high priestly prayer. Jesus says this, Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Oh, there is covenant theology in in all of its glory. The covenant of the Father with the Son, the Son discharging the work given to him by the Father, honoring his Father, so that his Father might glorify him with the same glory that he had before the world existed. Well, we've considered the commandment in relation to Israel, and you have hope if you, if you know this commandment in relation to Jesus Christ, the perfect law keeper, the one who perfectly honors his father for you. But uh, this commandment is also for us. It comes to us in Christ so that now, uh, leaning upon the perfect obedience of Christ, we may seek to work out this obedience in our own lives and, and bring about our father's good pleasure as we seek to serve him. And if you are in Christ, you are called to obey this commandment in all of its fullness. And I say that because if any commandment is full, it is certainly this one, at least with respect to the Westminster standards. It's very interesting if you look through the Westminster Larger Catechism with regard to all of the Ten Commandments. There's typically, usually there's, there's three questions on each of the commandments, maybe four. In the case of the Fourth Commandment, there's seven but with respect to this one, there is no less than 11 questions. <laughs> I'm not going to go through all of those 11 questions this evening, but I would encourage you to look at them. There's a reason why uh, the Westminster Standards put such an emphasis on this. It's, it's because the command is much broader than just children and their parents. The Westminster Standards realize that this command anchors all authority structures on earth. And so let me read you one of these questions, questions 124. The question is this, who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? By father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parent, but all, notice this word, I'll come back and explain it, all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinance, are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth. And so the divines think of these three areas in which we have superiors. Now, these are, these are superiors not because they are superior human beings, you know, elevated in their, in their being somehow. Uh, no, they, uh, superior means superior in authority. We have some who are over us in authority, and they recognize three areas here. We're going to address these three areas in the family, in the church, and in the commonwealth. And the commonwealth is simply uh, the government. So let's look at those three areas. First and most naturally, uh, we have superiors. Also, they're called inferiors, not because they are somehow uh, inferior and lacking, so, but they are under those who are over them. Uh, and so first of all, let's look at the family. Uh, children, why is it that you should honor your father and your mother? By the way, I'm, even though I'm addressing children, um, this is to those of all age. 
Uh, you may be adults and you have older fathers and mothers. Maybe your fathers and mothers have passed away. Even now, even now, there is still a place for you to honor your father and mother. But even if I can just address the children, children, why are you to honor your father and mother? Is it, is it because they are always right? Is it because they are the smartest and wisest human beings on the face of the planet? No. Calvin says this, It makes no difference whether those on whom the honor is conferred are deserving or not. Those are strong words, aren't they? makes no difference whether they are deserving or not. In other words, children, you are not to honor your parents uh, because uh, they accidentally ended up as your parents by some kind of a cosmic roll of the dice. They are your parents. They're your parents because God chose to put you in the home of these people. His all-wise and all-loving plan has been exercised in granting you a place in their home. Now, I know it's the case ever since there were children and parents, and it will be the case until the last child is born of the last parent on earth that uh, some will think, I can't believe uh, my mom or dad are so short-sighted, so dumb. What is wrong with them? And maybe sometimes it is the case that they are (laughs) short-sighted and dumb. But your honoring them is not a matter of who they are. Your honoring them is a matter of who God is. When you say to them, either by word or even in your heart, you stink, you're losers, or perhaps you are the dopiest parents on the face of the earth. Of course, all thoughts which have crossed the minds of uh, children and, you know, including the older ones, you know, we've, we've had these thoughts of our parents of various times. What we're really saying is, God, you stink. You're the loser. You are stupid in having placed me in this place. When you think of it that way, and kids, please do think of it in that way. Doesn't that make a profound difference in how you treat your parents? Indeed, uh, should uh, bearing with the instructions of parents' commands, even if those commands sometimes are short-sighted or a little foolish, Shouldn't knowing this make bearing with those commands so easy, so bearable? It gives you an incredible freedom then to be able to honor them. Because uh, so long, of course, as they are not telling you to do something God forbids, if they are telling you to do something God forbids, children, you, you do have the right, actually, in that case, to disobey. But so long as they are not doing that, because uh, no matter what they're telling, uh, no matter whether they're right or they're wrong or this particular issue, you can say, I'll listen to them. I'll honor them because God has placed me in their care and he tells me to do so. And I'll, I'll honor him by honoring them. Notice in verse 12 that God not only says, honor your father and mother, but he says to do so, so that, so that. What is the so that? so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, under the Old Covenant, this is not a trick question, it's kind of an easy question, what was the land which the Lord, their God, was giving to Israel? It was the land of Canaan, wasn't it? 
And their disobedience to the command, and, and all of God's commands, but certainly to this command, was an occasion for God's expelling them from the land. And so, how does that apply to us? How does that apply to us? Because we're going to see, actually, Paul brings that matter up. Well, we can say this, first of all. On the one hand, we can say that there's a general rule that the child who listens to and heeds the instruction and the wisdom of their father and mother will, generally speaking, as a general rule, have a much better, much more prosperous life on earth. We see this all through the Proverbs. The Proverbs call attention to this, that, that, that you know, the one who, who uh, throws away the advice of their father or mother is a fool. Particularly Proverbs 15.20 says this, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Spurn the wisdom of fathers and mothers, kids, upstairs, downstairs, those who may be watching afar. Do it, and generally speaking, your life is going to be a mess. But I think it has much more to do than generally having a good life on this earth. Notice Paul's quote of this passage in Ephesians 6. He says, uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you um, and that you may have that you may live long in the land. Now, as I said before, under the old covenant, the land was a picture of heaven. So what am I saying? <laughs> Honor your father and mother so that you can get into heaven? Well, hopefully you would recognize that would be a huge contradiction in light of everything I said this morning and this evening so far. Of course not. But I do think heaven is actually in view here. Because I think Paul understands that the chief instruction of parents to their children should not be this. Follow my career advice for you. What should be the chief instruction of any parent to their child? It should be this. Look to Jesus Christ and live. Parents, if that's not the chief instruction you are giving to your children, then go to them and ask their forgiveness. Really, that's if there's any confusion or if they think, wow, what, what do my parents want me to do? I'm so confused after all. They're, they're, they're befuddling to me. Go and... Tell them about the way of life found in Jesus Christ. And kids, reject your parents' instruction concerning that. And you will not enter the land of heaven. Insofar as children heed, follow, honor parents who give them that instruction, they will enter into the land of life. Really, this is what true parental authority is all about. It's not about bossing your kids around and, and having them to uh, be able to go mow the lawn for you, although a certain son of around 12 years old may, may get to do that later this summer. We'll see. Uh, true authority is a delegated authority from God, which declares to you the gospel, a gospel by which you may live. Reject that authority and you won't live. And that's what church authority is all about as well. Reject the authority by which the church declares to you the gospel. Dishonor that authority and you will die. 
Well, I addressed two areas, two of the three areas. The, the, the Westminster Standards talk about this commandment being lived out in the arena of the family, of the church, but also the commonwealth. In other words, the government. Uh, so uh, what about the government? Well, why do you obey the government? Why should you obey the government? Well, it's very close to the reasons that I spelled out of why you should obey your parents. Is it because the government is so ingenious? Uh, is it because they seem to have everything going in their understanding of things? It's really does. They, sometimes they do get it right and sometimes they don't. But you obey them because God puts the government in authority over you. That's precisely what Paul says in Romans 13. He says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who, re will, who resist will incur judgment. Now, of course, I understand that if the government, and I said this with regard to children a moment ago, so I'll say it again now with respect to the government, if the government gives you a command which clearly and directly conflicts with God's commands, then we know who, who you have to obey. You have to disobey the government and you have to obey God. We can see that in the case of Daniel, for example. He was a Daniel and his friends. They were commanded to bow down and worship the statue and they say, no, we're not going to do that. But whenever there is no clear breaking with the commands of God, you must obey the government precisely because God has granted them their power. Let me say, but uh, they take my money for taxes and spend it on a bunch of dumb stuff. And yet what did Jesus say in Matthew 22? He said, render to Caesar that which is Caesar." Render to God that which is God. Pay taxes. Don't think that the Roman government was somehow much more godly <laughs> in its spending of tax revenues than governments are today. Now, it doesn't mean, of course, that you can't express yourself to your representatives, uh, work to, for reform within the government. Actually, that's quite a benefit that we have today over against some of the governments in the past. There's, you don't get to vote whether you want Caesar or not. He's Caesar, period. But you get to vote for your leaders today. But remember what Paul says. Uh, excuse me. Remember what Peter says with this, with this respect. Peter, in 1 Peter 2.17, he says this. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. It's very interesting that word for honor in Greek is, is the same word used in the Greek translation of Exodus 20.12, speaking of honoring your father and mother here, Tamao. Peter says, honor the emperor. You have to understand, this was a guy who, within this time frame, came to refer to himself as Lord and God. You honor that guy because he's worthy of it? <laughs> no, no way. We honor, you would honor such a person because their authority is from God. You honor the office, even if there is a time when some command must be resisted because it conflicts with the command of God. But be very, very careful in making that judgment because the New Testament really does not allow for a lot of latitude there. It must be clear 
and demonstrable. Disobeying the government ought to be because the conflict with God is clear and blatant. Well, looking at the fifth commandment, we've seen how it relates to Israel, how it relates to Christ, and how it relates to us in the sphere of the family, of the church, and as well of the government. Look to the one, brothers and sisters, who perfectly kept this commandment, who honored his father, having done so, has been granted entrance into the land of life, the land flowing with milk and honey. Look to him and have access to that land. Look to him and live. And now keep this commandment as those who have been saved by him to live a life pleasing to your heavenly Father. Let's pray.